one, check your trim set, check your heading norm, light heading at 074, check your altimeter set, 2946, correct the center point elevation, 0 feet. Check your barrel running 0, check your SS 1230, 3034, check your field, check your speed up, lights out. In the air and on air, here he is, the renegade aviator, David Costa. Oh, oh, updated when it's done, two soldiers, five. We on the airfield and airspace, you are clear for takeoff! Have a good one! Thanks, Mo, we're cleared for takeoff! Check your bucket brake off, check your trim set, check your nozzle steering on, maneuver, damn and half school face, left turn out! That's what I'm up, off brakes now! In the air and on air, the Renegade Aviator combines jet airshow performances and this radio show to promote aviation, excellence, overcoming obstacles, and achieving goals. Here he is, the renegade aviator, David Costa. All right. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, this is David Costa. Let's go. Let's rock this. Why am I doing this show? the Renegade Aviator Radio Show. Why do I put so much time and energy into this effort? Air shows. You like air shows, don't you? Maybe you're one of my listeners each week who's never been to an air show. Or maybe you're a parent and wanted to take your kids to their first air show this year. Well, this year, air shows are almost non-existent. Almost and I'm going to show you why this week. Most air shows have been canceled, and that's a shame. If you're a regular listener and fan of the Renegade Aviator Radio Show, you know about my May Day Save Our Air Shows theme this year. I've been making calls and talking to air show performers and the people behind the scenes at our air shows. I've been promoting the people that make air shows what they are. So if you're a fan of air shows, I'm going to ask you to share this show on social media. Let's all work together to save our air shows. Without you and I doing our part, air shows might fade away. May Day, save our air shows, renegadeaviator.com. Why are air shows so important? There's many reasons why. For most people, it's simply the heart-pumping, great-value entertainment, but I found another huge benefit of our air shows that often gets overlooked or maybe not fully understood. There are people and stories behind these air shows that I bring to you each week. I have hundreds of episodes. Go wherever you find podcasts and listen to all of them. Binge on David Costa, the renegade aviator. Um, why not? You're locked down anyway. <laughs> what you might not realize about air shows is that although they are fun and exciting, the reason they have such an impact on people and make no mistake, they do. And I've heard hundreds of these stories, and you will too when you listen. But what impacts people is they get to watch excellence demonstrated. This is key. Like any professional sport, but even more so in air shows. When I bring you an air show performer like I do most weeks, we could 
just talk about their performance and the details of their airplane that they fly, but if you've noticed, we talk about much more. We give you their story of excellence demonstrated of overcoming obstacles and achieving dreams and goals. But you get something out of all this. These stories are really for you. These stories are about you. What do I mean? Okay, you have your own dreams, your own goals, your own vision of how your life can be excellent. When you listen to these stories that I bring you each week, I want you to think about what these people have done and are doing that can inspire you to do what you know is important to you. Air shows inspire millions. There have been millions that have pointed to that airplane with a thrill. Air shows are not just about pilots. Air shows are about what is possible. When you see someone else doing what seems to be impossible, you gain confirmation to go ahead, light the afterburners, and go after your impossible goals. Support what I do here and join my crew. RenegadeAviator.com. Join my crew. Just find Join My Crew. Click the link. It'll take you through there. It's really simple. Okay, this week, in a time, a time when most air shows are dark, there have been renegades. A few have said, how? How can we proceed despite the challenges? One show this year, Thunder Over Cedar Creek Lake, did not go dark this year and wait until you hear the story. Let me now light the burners on this jet and launch into my show with the guy who was the jet fuel behind Thunder Over Cedar Creek Lake Air Show this July. Here we go. David Costa, the Renegade Aviator, and I am thrilled to be here with you each and every week with a new guest, and I'm going to introduce this week's guest speaker shortly, but um, I'm going to give you a hint on how to find out more about him. When, you're, when your website says fighterjets.com, you know it's going to be some cool stuff we're going to talk about, so stay right there. What I want to go into real quick is an update because I'm getting a bunch of phone calls on what we're doing now. we got a brand new website. It's called worldrecordjet.com. Go to worldrecordjet.com because we're giving an opportunity to this Gen Z, to this new generation. And if you want to get involved, if you're one of these younger generation involved in aerospace, STEM education, and you want to get involved in a world record attempt, a series of world record attempts with a really cool jet. Go to worldrecordjet.com and you people to say, look, I always want to help that next generation. Here's your opportunity. So sponsors and supporters, we need you. Go there and uh, you'll find out all the information. I'll update you later in the show with what we're doing because we have some really cool stuff to talk about. But now, without wasting any more time, I want to introduce to you someone who's been flying really cool jets at air shows 
shows for decades, over a thousand, many more than a thousand air shows all over this great country in North America, Mr. Randy Ball. Randy, welcome to the Renegade Aviator Radio Show. How are you this morning? I am outstanding as always. One of the big reasons I really wanted to talk to you is you did something that we need to see more of. Air shows are dark this year, but some people have got the guts and the willingness to go out and say the air shows might be dark, but we're going to have an air show anyway. So, Randy, what you did with putting on an air show, I think, really gave the industry a shot in the arm. It was a great service and probably a lot of work. But uh, would you mind going over a little bit about what you did for the people that didn't have a chance to go see it? Well, absolutely. Uh, of course, the labor laws. And right off the top, you have to say that it's a it's a team effort. Anybody that's been around uh, uh, outdoor event, particularly one of this magnitude, you know, realizes that it's it's way more than one person. But uh, the air show started uh, 16 years ago, I guess formerly 15 years ago, but I was coming back from Tinker Air Force Base one afternoon uh, when they did a one-day show, a Saturday show, and had some fuel. Cedar Creek Lake is on the way back to uh, our home airport in Tyler, and we don't bring jets home on the weekends very often, but uh, we try to cycle them back into our home airport, usually every five or six air shows so we can change tires and that kind of stuff in our own hangar. Anyway, flew over the lake. Just before the fireworks about twilight and did some afterburner stuff and off to Tyler I went because I was out of gas, of course. And uh, the next year they uh, <laughs> the next year they said, yeah, that was really cool. Uh, you didn't do that again. So they raised a little bit of money and, and I zorked around the lake again, you know, just before the fireworks. And uh, the third year um, I said, well, look, I can actually produce an air show, you know, of some size. Rather than just do it for self-education and gratification, we probably ought to have a higher cause. And uh, so I got with some the neighborhood, and I said, uh, look, nobody probably under, knows who Fisher House is, but they just finished building one at uh, Seymour Johnson Air Force Base. And, and for your listeners that don't know the Fisher House, it's kind of like the Ronald McDonald House, but it's a, it's a way that families, mothers, fathers, wives, husbands can place for them to stay when a loved one may have been injured in the battlefield and being cared for with long-term critical care, uh, many times the, the, it's one of the most important thing is to have somebody there that's a loved one that can help you and uh, nothing else for moral support. And the Fisher House provides a place for uh, that to happen at no cost to the family. So, But they rely on donations and, and that sort of stuff, grants and so forth. So they were going to build one of the Dallas, Texas uh, Veterans Hospital. And we found out, and so that was our first charity. We had Torah, 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 and Trojan Flyers, and, and uh, Jan Comer uh, before he passed away, and a couple other performers that were closer to the Dallas area that I could twist their arms and have them come for little or nothing so that we could raise some money for charity. Excellent. Well, I thought it was going to be a one-time show. <laughs> little did I know. <laughs> <laughs> you volunteered. Uh, oh, man, did I ever. Um we did a we did a bang up job and raised uh, quite a bit of money and so I said well that's great you know that was a good deal and so I don't know about March or April that year I heard I got wind of this fund that was going around the lake called SOS Save Our Show and they were trying to raise enough money to pay me to come back and do the show and I said no I'm not going to take money the whole idea of course is to donate it to the charity I said but you know it does come take some money to operate a show I mean by the time with you know as you grow a show logistically with Everything from engine oil to smoke oil to rooms and cars and, uh, you know, the list is long, as you know, yep. um, to support something like that. 
we had the F-16 demo team out of Shaw the following year with Ryder. Great, great uh, demo guy. I think we had Aeroshell for the first time that year. I may, maybe Matt Yonkin the next year. So we started adding some some uh, other guys like me that are on the on the national Aeroshell tour. Um, as we kind of grew up. And then the Air Force called me one day and said, hey, you can't have you can't have a, a charity, just one charity. You have to have multiple charities or we can't support you anymore. And I'm like, not a problem. <laughs> so... Uh, we uh, we added a Hope for the Warrior, which was a local, or a, I guess North Texas, kind of like uh, Wounded Warrior program, but more of a local type of thing. And then uh, my dad had been a um, counselor for the military and Veterans Administration for decades. So I called him up and I said, okay, what military charities out there that uh, doesn't ever receive any, you know, any highlight, nobody ever heard of them, they, but they do great work. And without missing a beat, he said the... Uh, Navy Marine Relief Society. Hmm. So they're incredible doing work on the home front. Uh, you'll have a husband that's maybe deployed for his third or fourth deployment, and the wife at home loses the transmission in the car, and she's broke on the side of the road, and she can't call him because he's gone, and she may be at a base that's, you know, halfway across the country from her family. And so how did, where did she get help? And I'm like, oh, got it. So um, there's a chapter over at the JRB, the former Carswell Air Force Base over in Fort Worth, and I drove myself over there, <laughs> introduced myself, and uh, they've, they've been one of our partners now for at least 10 years. Wow. This year we added uh, Camp V uh, here in Tyler, Texas, and Camp V is kind of an all-inclusive multi, it's almost like a campus, and it's designed for regional support for veterans, some of which is just merely uh, reacclimating into civilian life if they, after they uh, separate or retire. Others that need medical help, that need an advocate that can help work forms or fill out paperwork, that sort of stuff, it runs the gamut. And uh, so uh, this year we were really excited to add uh, Camp V to the, to the list. We, all, we usually make our donations in, in August uh, after we know exactly what we've got and what we want to save over for the following year's seed money. But uh, last year I think we... We had our our total uh, donations exceeded three hundred thousand. Holy cow! To the military here, so very proud of it. We formed a force of five hundred one C three that now is the nucleus of the show called Cedar Creek Veterans Foundation, and uh, named of course for the lake and the in the show. Uh, I named the show Thunder Over Cedar Creek Lake after somebody made comment about my afterburner working around the lake. <laughs> that is so, thunder. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, anyway, it's been a it's been great. Uh, if you want to tell you a little about this year's show, yeah, in March when yeah. all this kind of stuff was coming, COVID and so forth was coming down, and the air shows that I had contracted, you know, to, to be a performer at throughout the year started falling, you know, one after another. I called Lynn Thomas, my air show director, and I said, "Look, we're not going to cancel. We're going to figure it out. There's got to be a way to do this. We've just got to be smart enough to figure it out." You know, one of the things that the problems were was sponsorship. Well, we have our show is probably 85% sponsor and donation driven and 20% ticket sales. And so I said, well, some companies may be really struggling myself included because of the lack of air shows, Oh yeah, but there's got to be others that have, that have done well. I mean, grocery store can't even keep toilet paper on the shelf. So somebody's doing well. We just got to figure it, figure this out. She was the same way with me. She said, well, if you're not going to cancel, I'm not either. And I'm like, well, then we're going to, we're going to figure it out. One of the things that I thought, well, while we're, since we've decided that we're going to go, regardless of the headwinds, I've made an announcement through a multiple uh, social outlets plus through uh, ICAST that as a ACE, uh, that stands for, for those of your listeners that don't know what that means, it's an aerobatic competency evaluator. And we're kind of blessed through a program with through the International Council of Air Shows 
to do oral exams and evaluate uh, other performers in our industry for their FAA paperwork to be able to fly, you know, fly, perform more aerobatics at an air show the following calendar year. And most of us get those certifications, myself included, at an air show sometime during the calendar year. But since all the air shows were canceling, that was going to increasingly get to be a really problem. And if it was going to be a problem for me, it was going to be a problem for other people. So I put out that, look, I'll try to get uh, aerobatic competency evaluators to come to Cedar Creek Lake. And if there's any of the air show performers in the United States that wanted to uh, come and fly in the show, we would extend the hours of the show to accommodate them. I would, or the show would, would pay the expenses to have the Evaluators come to Cedar Creek Lake. We put them up in the hotel room, pay their rental car, all that sort of stuff for them to come and participate. So it'd be, other than the cost to get here and so forth, it'd be at a no cost to the performer. And sometime in there, we went from about 16 aircraft that were planning to fly to almost 40 aircraft. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> so the show, and then, you know, because of cancellations, you know, we got, it's, well, would you like the A-10 demo team? I'm like, absolutely. Would you like the F-16 demo team? Absolutely. And then literally the eight or 10 days before the show, uh, we added the C-17 demo team out of McCord, the F-35 demonstration with the first female demo pilot, Bayo, who did an excellent job uh, out of Hill Air Force Base in Salt Lake. So, our room count, car count, security count, everything just skyrocketed. Uh, and, and I kept going back to Lynn, and I'm saying, okay, Lynn, <laughs> it's getting bigger. How are we doing on donations and, and you know sponsorships? And she said, I got it. I got it. Huh. And she did. I was amazed because my big concern, one of my big concerns, like a lot of shows probably that are already canceled or that they're thinking about canceling, is that they wouldn't be able to get sponsorship dollars. They wouldn't be able to get donations and so forth that would help cover the cost of the show and what we found it was just the opposite interesting not only are are we at record levels of donations and sponsorship this year i think those people those sponsors that stuck with the show received incredible increase in exposure and we did that in a couple ways about 10 years ago when i had tour 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 for the first time since we're over a water and uh and along and have you know miles of shoreline of people I was uh, I was concerned that the kids weren't going to be able to hear the narration, you know, for Tora, Tora, Tora. Yeah, it's entertaining to watch the zeros and cates and vowels working around the sky and the P-40s chase them around and the B-17 comes through. But, you know, it's really history. It is. It's uh, living history. You get to see it, touch it. So how do you get the kid that's a mile away watching it with his family to be able to hear the narration? So my answer was I, I went to a local FM uh, radio station, KCKL, outside of Athens, Texas, and said, would you guys broadcast the entire air show live like a Saturday afternoon football game, college football game? And they said, well, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. <laughs> they were like, why would somebody want to listen to the air show, you know? Um, after the first year, they, kind of, they, they, they were a little iffy on the first show, and they only just covered a part of the show. But after that, they caught on, and, and it also allowed some of our sponsors another way to get exposure because they got to they sponsor the air show. They get a spot on the air, on the radio. Yeah, this increased my audience dramatically, and it made it much more interactive for the interactive for everybody. Even the people that were close to the show center, they couldn't quite hear a, one of the speakers. All they had to have is a they could stream it on their iPhone, you know, off the net, or they could just listen to it over on a on a radio. They're either at their house or on their boat or whatever. So it's a great idea. It great solved idea. that problem, and it made. Well, it turned out to be great because when we got to the social distancing this year, I was all set because that ing- added, added ingredient that allowed so many more people to participate in the air show. This is perfect. So you social distance, but it doesn't matter. You can be farther away from the box 
and still hear the narration. Doesn't matter what side of the lake you're on or what side of the box you're on. You all get to participate. And then you know Mark Megan, I'm sure that uh, does yeah. the onboarding thing for for years for ICAST and so forth. Those fantastic airborne uh, photographs that we all enjoy. He, uh, I called him and I said, how can we add another layer to this? And he called Jeff Hill, Jeff Lee, sorry, with uh, Live Air Show TV, and said, you know, we may have something here. Well. We have something here, all right. We did, with Air Force support, we brought in, I think they had three or four uh, cameras along the shoreline, plus cameras in a couple of the cockpits, uh, and filmed the entire thing live with over 60,000 people watching it live on its first broadcast. Holy cow. So that's that's a good turnout for an event. Everybody's saying everybody's supposed to be locked down, which is silly enough, but you're outside and you get a turnout like that. I think a lot of times maybe people are just running scared. I mean, it's I, I don't want to cast doubt in any other air show that, that can't stay open, but, I mean, I, I guess that's what I wanted to talk to you about because it's so neat that you're able to go, you know what, hey, it's a bad time going on here, but we're going to push forward anyway. I think those people who showed up got a lot of value there because, I mean, you know, half the country's going nuts because they're locked down. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, I don't want to poo-poo on anybody's decisions because, I mean, everybody's got their own venue that they've got to deal with. But, me, I was just determined that we were just going to figure it out. You know, things weren't ideal, but we figured it out. So our numbers that we that we think we've got right now that are pretty solid, we think we had 55,000 watch it in person. Uh, we think we had around 65,000 listen to it live, play-by-play play on, on radio. And we know we had over 60,000 people watch it live around the world streaming. And that number, I think, is already well over 100,000 between all the different venues replaying. Heck, I heard this morning from somebody in Sweden, they were watching over there, you know, replaying it over there. So I think there's so much what the sponsors are going to get out of this, an incredible increase in exposure than I think any year they've ever had because there's so much pent-up demand for people that have stayed home, stayed isolated, et cetera. To get out in the sunshine and you know listen to the Beach Boys and watch an air show, just a, it's just an American event, and um, I was just tickle pink. I mean, I can't tell you how the feedback has been phenomenal. Yeah, I, I worked probably 14-hour days, think 26 or seven days in a row before the show, getting the last little bit done. But I'd do it again. I mean, watching kids. I was standing at the at the uh, at Tyler at the uh, Historic Aviation Memorial Museum where we're letting limited people come in through and, you know, walk around the airplanes, typical air show stuff. Even though the show wasn't there, that's where we're launching and recovering from. Mm-hmm. And this kid, Zach, gets out of the back seat of this car. I'm standing in the parking lot. He runs up there. He's jumping up and down and up and down. And his mom's climbing out of the, out of the, uh, out of the you know, her door. And she, you could see the F-35s from where they were. And he was jumping up. They're like, Mom, Mom, <laughs> come on, Mom. I was that kid, you know? And yeah. I was like, that. Right there made me all the work. Right there was was uh, made it worth it. That's absolutely. That, yeah, that's, that's why everybody does this. That, that passion, that spark to look out and see those kids. You're right. You were that guy. I was that guy. There's a lot of guys and girls that just get a spark out of these air shows. And to and to have a year where we stand down brings upon challenges, but. 
you may hit on to a whole new a whole new formula, right? A whole new checklist that other air shows can do is to involve that old fat. You know, we laugh and say, "Oh, radio's old fashioned." Not when you're doing a live event, it isn't. That's a great idea. And talk about sponsorship approval. I mean, fantastic. That's a great way to uh, adapt and overcome. I think we're gonna go. Time will tell. But um, it, as we're sitting here talking for this interview, my uh, plan right now is to do to broadcast it live again video while as well use yeah. the same formula use uh but you know the people there live people listening live on the radio kckl has been a great partner and then um also live stream it i mean if you watch if you google thunder over cedar creek lake you can watch it youtube etc it was a long show because we put so many performers in it was over three hours of flying it's amazing i mean that's a three hours of air show air, air show act one after another, after another, after another. Headliners, you know, with uh, like Matt Yonkin did the night show. Uh, so we started mid-evening, late afternoon, and we went to well after dark so that Matt Yonkin could do his night show to the Phantom of the Opera that he's uh, famous at doing at Oshkosh and so forth. So Yeah. And I actually got to fly, too, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. You got to have some fun. <laughs> yeah, just, just before the air show uh, started officially, I uh, had two MiG-17s here, and, uh, you know, they're playing the same. So uh, Bill Coberson was in one, and I flew the other, and we, we tucked in tight and did a, did a couple of high-speed passes. There's nothing really spectacular, but just kind of a sneak show. It was supposed to start at a certain time, so we intentionally got there just, a, you know, five minutes early or whatever, and worked around a little bit just a quick couple passes and gone and then he flew a t-33 later in the show and then i flew a twilight performance with the afterburner uh, after the sun went down just before matt yonkin finished the show for us outstanding that is outstanding i gotta get my gotta get my turn to fly upside down you know <laughs> yeah, exactly especially on, on your own home turf like that so um try to get out of it i told him i said look i got my plate I mean, overflowing, I can just run the show and I'd be, you know, oh, no, 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 you have to fly the show. You have to fly the show. You have to fly the show. You started it. You got to fly it. So, but that's the fun part for me, you know, after, after I got everybody launched except for Matt and Aaron May was getting ready for Matt. I guess I should tell you who Aaron May is. For those of you that follow us on the, on the Facebook fan page or see us at shows, Aaron May is the uh, girl in pink t-shirt and pink hat and pink ear protections, et cetera, that's uh, my crew chief. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> well, you know, and I think, you know, when they look up um, and watch you fly and you're flying, you know, usually a MiG-17 or something along those lines, I don't think everybody understands that that's a privately owned jet and that we live in a country great enough to let us go out there and have fun and pay the exorbitant amount of money to keep these airplanes flying but it's a testament to kind of big goals big dreams i was a usmc special ops guy i won't get into what i did but i always wanted to be a fighter pilot and it just didn't work out for me so after i got out of the service i had a guy who was a harrier pilot who was a friend of mine point his finger in my face i was flying a pits at the time and i I was complaining and crying to blues that I didn't have a jet. I never got to fly a jet fighter. He says, you know what? You live in the greatest country in the world. If you want to fly a jet, go out and buy one and suck it up. And it took me 20 years um, and I'm way behind you as far as that flying these things out of the air shows. But I think that's key for people to say when they watch you fly that military fighter jet, 
it's yours. It's, it's a civilian-owned aircraft. I mean, is that do you get that question a lot? Do people think that you're flying in the military, or, or do they realize what it takes to do what you do? Well, it's it's yes, I've heard that question at nauseum for the for a long, long time. Also, when I'm climbing out over the airplane. Uh, they'll ask me, you know, do I fly the Hornet or F-16, F-15, you know, what you fly? And I tell them Cessna. <laughs> and they say, what? And I said, um, so I was born, I mean, born in Waco, Texas. I grew up in a, you know, in a rural setting in Riesel, Texas, where I graduated high school with a class of 29, a very agricultural uh, setting. My family's working ranch in Breckenridge, Texas for long, many, many generations. So, no, nobody, uh, I, you know, I didn't have any more money than what I could make, you know, in my hourly salary with, as I was working through, working my way through college at Baylor, et cetera. But I was determined to, you know, same thing, just kind of like not giving up on this air show. I couldn't figure out how to get into doing that. And so growing up around Breckenridge, though, uh, Nelson Azell has a phenomenal restoration facility in Breckenridge that restores uh, World War II primarily aircraft. And a lot of the aircraft that were in the old TV show back in the late 70s, Bob Black Sheep, were done at that airport. So as a kid, you know, you'd be walking out there, and there'd be Corsairs and Mustangs and whatever, and I was just eat up with the stuff. I mean, I couldn't. I drew pictures of planes that my teachers told me I'd never make it at anywhere. All I did was build, <laughs> draw pictures of airplanes <laughs> at school and so forth. And that's focus, man, focus. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, when I was old enough, I joined the CAF, the Commemorative Air Force, now, and it was it kind of gave me a back door in. I didn't have any money, but I could wipe oil off airplanes and turn wrenches and show up at volunteer times and so forth. And that's kind of how it worked. I learned the business that way. When I got enough flight time, I got my private pilot's license, and then I got my multi-engine pilot's license. And uh, the wing I was in had a Douglas A-26. And uh, when the fellow that had been flying right seat was transferred out, they were looking for somebody else to right seat pilot. And I was jolly on the spot and made every air show I could possibly make and really learned more of the business that way. And, you know, we'll sit around and follow the older guys. World War II guys and the Korean guys and ask questions and keep them, you know, try to try to learn the business, learn to learn to fly aerobatics in a T6 that, that way with another guy. And, you know, I guess kind of slowly worked my way to where I am now. Well, you know, I just had a conversation with a guy and I broker jet aircraft as well. But this conversation was from a guy who will remain nameless when the story's not good. I don't name names. But one of these people that <laughs> wants to get a faster jet, he, he's coming out of a Cirrus, believe it or not, a Cirrus and an RV and has got the money and wants to buy the biggest, fastest jet that he can find because that L-39 isn't fast enough and it's not good enough for him. And so I told him, I said, I will not sell you a jet i will not be a part of this i said not because you can't do it but because of the attitude we are taking care of these aircraft and we owe each other right i mean if i go out and do something silly in my little ts-11 iskra it hurts everybody who flies these these aircraft i mean i was was i off base with that i said look you just i don't like the attitude i mean because it is so cool what we do i mean you got to be grateful for it yeah i mean um yeah you've got to learn to to fly within the rules and regulations and be a good neighbor, be a good steward of uh, what you're getting to do so the next guy's going to get to do it. We as an industry are, I always say, is one catastrophic accident away from real bad future. When I'm working with a new guy on a jet or something like that, half my stuff or probably three-quarters of the whole time is about fuel planning. And, you know, if you're an afterburner aircraft, you know, what what are you going to do at halfway down the runway when the afterburner quits? If you can't abort, are you going to be able to get off the ground? You know, that's kind of where I'm, you know, 
where I teach. I've had several, uh, you know, guys come along and want to fly MIG fighters, and I said, well, you know, they're an interceptor, not really a fighter. And they said, well, I don't understand. It's a fighter. And I said, yeah, it's an interceptor. And they, uh, they scratched their head, and I said, do you understand the difference? It's like Spitfire in World War II had about 50 minutes of fuel on board. That's it. 50 minutes. You're done. It's going to quit. So if you're out over the English Channel duking it out with, the, uh, with Germans, you better keep an eye on home and your gas gauge and most of the Makovi and Gorovich products are the same way. They're designed as an interceptor, and they sacrifice extra fuel, et cetera, for performance, which is great because it gives you great performance. Yeah. If you're trying to cross country that airplane and there's wind and there's you know weather and all that sort of stuff like that, you can get yourself into a lot of trouble really quick and not even know it until it's too late. So uh, I always tell people, you know, when I'm flying a MiG, you know, you're out of gas when you start it up, and it's fuel critical once you're airborne. Yeah, that's true, yeah. And, and I used to think that the old Lear uh, 25s that I used to fly were always out of gas, but I can't imagine pushing forward into an afterburner and watching your fuel gauge drop. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, people ask, I say, well, you know, I figure 400 to 450 gallons an hour on a on a MiG-17 and a fuel burn across country, and that's going to altitude and so forth. And they said, well, how much does it hold? I said, 577 with drop tanks. And they sit there for a minute looking at you, and they're like, wait. What? <laughs> yes. Exactly. Exactly. So where you're going, you better know you can land or you have an alternate airfield and the weather's going to be okay or you better not go because, you know, you know, it's not an airplane that you can descend, shoot an approach. Oh, I didn't like what I, I didn't see the ground. I'm going to divert to, that's not the way that works. And if you are cross country in that kind of an airplane, you make the decision to whether you're going to divert or land while you're still at cruise altitude. You never come down from altitude. I'm, I'm at 30,000 feet. Of course, now with technology, Gee, compared to where I when I started flying jet fighters 30 years ago, oh my gosh! You know, I've got four flight on my iPad, and I've got a Garmin 430, uh, 345, and that feeding weather and traffic to it into my panel, and and I can see the fuel prices even while I'm at altitude. So <laughs> it's a light years away from what it was when I was flying a. Uh, a MIG with an E6B. That's true. That's very true. Well, you know, and we, your airplane, I mean, that, that MIG-17, you can probably still outperform a lot of the current generation stuff. I mean, I, I don't think people realize how well-designed that aircraft was. You can talk about that more than I could as compared to that little straight-wing trainer that I'm flying where my whole premise is to try to keep a show kind of tight because I'm slower. I, I, I don't have an afterburner. I can't go. I don't have that wow factor, but you've got a highly maneuverable, highly cool, highly loud airplane. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, the 17 until the F-16 flew in 74, I think, the first one, was the tightest turning jet fighter in the world. You know, if you're, if you're down 7,000, 8,000 feet or below uh, and you uh, really want to hurt yourself, you can fly, you can pull 8 Gs around and around in circles until it runs out of gas until you can't take it. If you'll slow the thing down, if, you, if you're flying, a, say, at Oshkosh, if you pull about 6 Gs to 6.5 Gs in AB, you can start the maneuver at uh, 300 and 15 knots and be close to 400 knots when you roll out on back on the baseline. So it'll actually accelerate while you're uh, holding that kind of a G induced drag. And then, and that's, if you watch my, my show, one of the maneuvers I do to, to kind of showcase that a lot of, a lot of civilian guys may not pick up on it right away, but a lot of the fighter guys will, uh, I do an, I do an eight G minimum radius turn and I immediately go from that right into an overhead uh, half Cuban to demonstrate that even with all that induced drag, I not only have maintained energy, sometimes I've increased my energy enough to go to, to go in an over the top maneuver right out of the right out of the tight turn. So that puts it on a whole different playing field for most jets. I mean that's I don't know any other jet that's even in the civilian inventory at even a higher price tag, 
uh, that can do that. I mean, you need an F-16 to do that. That's something else to have a jet like that designed so many years ago, still being able to, to just be, be flown and have people come out and see and come out to the air shows and see that. I know everything I do in, in my little Iskra, I'm going, where did all my energy go? So it's everything how to get the energy back. <laughs> <laughs> so, so. Well, Iskra's a nice flying airplane, though. It's a very nice flying airplane. I've, I don't have a lot of time. I know we got four or five hours, six hours in an Iskra. My entrance into the into the Russian airplanes came from a different experience, but uh, the lead-in jets that I'd flown prior to that were uh, very briefly in the F-100, and then prior to that, uh, quite a bit of time in the T-33. T-33, even though it's a straight wing, was a good lead-in for that because it's got a, uh, a great big centrifugal flow jet engine, and that really, you know, if you screw that up a little bit, can hurt you bad, but at least you got a straight wing to kind of help cushion the uh, <laughs> the screw up and, and and help you recover with a with a swept wing jet. With you, if you get behind the power curve and you're low and you're slow, it could be a really bad day. So and so with your jet having it as as a swept wing like that, I, that was prior to. That's the other thing I always tell people. I say, watch when watch when you're flying that because uh, you don't have any fly-by wire. You're flying that airplane. It's got an aggressive sweep. Um, are there any flight handling characteristics that somebody watching give that fan some insight as to what you're going through as a pilot? You know, an aircraft is not an aircraft. They all have their idiosyncrasies or their special things you got to consider. Well, a 17 is really a sweet flying airplane. I mean, they are, you know, flown correctly. They they are a, a marvelous airplane. I, I really would have, and I've had a lot this repeated to me by a lot of the F-4 guys and so forth, that once they see the 17 fly at a significant level, you know, man, I'd hate to have actually had to fight that thing in close because it, it just turns so fast and it's so agile up close and still can go out uh, transonic. So I guess the biggest thing is, is just speed. Fly by the numbers, just like most jets, it's all about the numbers. Swept wing jets are even more so. If you get a 17 slow, and I mean really slow, it'll it can typically stalls. It drops one wing or the other, depending on if you're just a flight bit, you know, uncoordinated flight. Particularly if you're at altitude, you know, I've stalled them out potentially uh, above 25,000 feet, and uh, it'll it'll drop one wing, turn turtle, uh, in a blink of an eye. And you'll be headed down. And it's, you know, at that altitude, it'd probably take me 5,500 to 6,500 feet to recover it. That gets your attention. Sorry? That'll get your um, attention, especially if it happened at 1,000 feet. <laughs> Such a speed and, speed and altitude. <laughs> yeah, at a thousand, if it happens at 1,000 feet, it's graduation day for you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, you're uh, uh, leaving the planet. But, yeah, but if you fly it, I mean, one of the reasons why I'm speed, you know, a lot of people have come up and said, you know, if you slow that thing down, I could get a better picture of it when you go by. And I'm like, yeah, well, I can't pull half the G-loading I can on the jet to set up for the next maneuver if I'm so. The answer is, yeah, I can fly the routine or some of the routine probably 100 knots slower than I do, but then I don't have the, I don't have the safety margin. One of the, one of the last, I guess it's the next to the last, next to the last pass the last two years, I do a, you know, a Mach 9 plus pass usually around 50 feet on the 500-foot show line. And my mom says, oh, my gosh, quit doing that, quit doing that, quit doing that. But what you don't realize is, is that, yeah, I'm going, I'm 50 feet off the ground, but I'm going 580, 590 knots. So if, if you lose an engine, I can go three or 4,000 feet easy, maybe 6,000 feet on a cool day just off my energy. So it's not as, uh, you know, you kind of have to think of the physics of each one of the maneuvers. That, and I, I do, I sit and work each maneuver out and the sequence of which maneuver I'm doing in which order, et cetera, to set myself for the next maneuver. 
and it's all about, well, what happens if this happens or what happens if that happens? Where am I going to go? Is the wind blowing toward the crowd or the wind's blowing away from the crowd? All kinds of stuff are going through your head when you're flying some kind of something like that uh, or should be when you're flying something like that in front of a lot of people. Well, and if it isn't, that's why you do the uh, ace of Al and the, uh, the check rides every year to make sure that all of us out there have got a role to play and we're at different varying levels of things, but we all keep each other in line and safe and thinking about that stuff. But every person I interview in the air show world, And this is why it's so important for the fans to hear this, the level of preparation, the level of decision-making, and not just decision-making in the airplane, but decision-making, this is what I want to be. I want to be an air show pilot. I want to put an air show on during COVID-19. And I really hope that everybody listening hears that. It's your life can be a series of decisions. There can be challenges, but you can get through them. And there's practice and there's years of dedication, whether it's flying a MiG-17 or becoming a donut shop owner, you know, figure out what it is you want to do and just make it happen. I mean, am I off base? No, you're right on base, right on base. Just amazing because it is why I think people ask me, they go, why should I go to an air show? I'm not an airplane nut. I said, well, you will be if you go (laughs) number one, but even if you're not so bring the wife wives kids dog you know well dogs know but bring everybody you can to these events because number one it supports that air show it's very inexpensive to go see an air show support those sponsors who come out there and look at what it's what it means to have excellence demonstrated and put that into your own life and whatever you want to do and i think that's what's so important about our air shows and i get passionate about that because i think it's important too many people go i don't know what I want to do. I tried it, but I gave up too soon. I never hear anybody complain how hard they work when they're doing something that they love. And we happen to fly airplanes and love that. But anyway, that's that's me on my uh, soapbox. <laughs> no, I, you're absolutely right. I, you know, sometimes I'm kind of taken aback by some of the questions I get. I've had questions just last year, actually, where a, a guy goes, do you make this up every time? You know, do you make up a different routine every, every time you fly? And I said, uh, no, you know, um, Bob Hoover told me a long time ago. He said, "You know, if you when you fly your when you when you develop a maneuver, and he kind of worked with me on on a maneuvers package when I was working on uh, for the F eighty six, and he said, you know, your the the sequence is very important on how you put this together. And I, I kind of ha- had thought what I had put together was really smart until, <laughs> until the master of all masters kind of said, well, you know." You know, for example, I was looping uh, uh, air jets, all that sort of stuff, and I had been given. Um, practice films that were North American from on the F-86 that, from, uh, that Bob Hoover had flown, and I watched them like game film. I was backing them up and watching them and backing them up. Watching. I noticed that he never looped the saber. And I'm like, man, I've seen Snort loop the saber for years. So, I mean, it didn't dawn on me why, why you would or wouldn't want to loop the saber. And he said, well, you know, North American worked the numbers, and with his uh, aerodynamic slaps, we figured it sooner or later would have an accident. We're trying to sell airplanes. We don't want to have an accident. He said, I noticed you loop the MIG today, and I'm like, yeah. And he said, well, if I were you, uh, Bob said, you know, I don't think you should loop the airplane. I mean, if I were you, you're competing with the what he called the aerobatic guys. He called flip-flop, you know, the extras and MXs and pits, et cetera. And he said, why don't you do something that you can do that they can't? And I said, well, I don't understand what you mean. And he said, well, they're they're listening to the, you know, looping the airplane over around and around and around and around it goes, and that's great, but, uh, you know, that's that's a more dangerous maneuver for you and a jet warbird than it is them. Why don't you do something that you do really good? And then you can, you're not competing heads up with who can do the best loop. He convinced me to redesign my show with the MIG where it's 
a lot of energy and way more energy and a lot of vertical stuff and lots of speed stuff and lots of afterburner stuff. He said, because, look, that's what you do good. I'm watching you for years. He said, you do great that stuff. So do your stuff and make your show better and not try to be, you know, one size show. And, and I kind of pondered that a little bit and I thought, well, you know, he did live to be an old guy doing this. <laughs> he did. He did. There's a lot of guys that didn't. So maybe, maybe that's a good, really good piece of, really good nugget of information or good piece of advice to have. There you go. Yeah. Lesson number one, take advice. <laughs> well, and, and you know, he was right. I was, uh, I was flying Scott Air Force Base show. This is probably, I don't know, 10 years ago, eight, man, not that long ago, five years ago. Anyway, point was, was uh, I had a guy come up to me after the show and he said, well, look, I saw you fly at Kansas City a couple of weeks ago and you, you flew a loop there. And I said, no, I haven't. I haven't done a loop in, you know, a while. And uh, he said, no, you always do a loop right before you do the vertical afterburner roll. I'm like, nope. And it dawned on me right there that Bob Hoover's right. Nobody will even notice. Here's the guy that, that was convinced that I'd done a loop, and I hadn't done a loop in several years at that point. At a show. Yeah, I've done plenty of loops, but not at a show. Yeah. In fact, that's kind of what I did is instead of doing the loop, I inserted the, the vertical after afterburner roll, so I'd go straight up to eight or 10, 12,000 feet, much like an F-16, twisting around, and then come over the top back into the last maneuver. So anyway. Yeah, excellent. Excellent. Well, Randy, how do we uh, run through um, a little bit about how people can find you, find out more information on you and any of the charities or more about the air show for next year? Cedar Creek Veterans Foundation, CCVF. Find us online, Thunder Over Cedar Creek Lake, T-O-C-C-L, airshows.com, I believe it is. For me, the easiest way probably is the social media thing. Uh, for, the, for the fans page, Randy W. Period, and then last name Ball, B-A-L-L. Uh, like it, follow us. I mean, I've got lots of great sponsors, great sponsorship like Air Wisconsin Airlines and Goodyear and others that uh, have been with me for years that would attract that kind of stuff and follow me around and see how we're doing. It's always nice to have a lot of people follow us. And we post a lot. In fact, this Cedar Creek uh, Air Show we just did, uh, I had two F-35 fighters in my hangar with the MiG-17s. <laughs> so a little irony there. Two MiG-17s and two F-35s in the same hangar together. <laughs> Collusion. It's collusion. <laughs> yeah, and, and then yesterday we had uh, one of the A-10 demo teams out of uh, airplanes out of um, DM was here. They mechanical, and so we had Gator and his crew in my hangar hooking up hydraulics and working on it right, literally right beside 1611, my primary jet that I fly in the air shows. So uh, kind of cool stuff. I put as much of that stuff as I could on the, on, on the Facebook page, on the fan page. So, uh, And there's tons of videos on that as well. So if you, you want to see what it looks like to – goes working around in the dark, upside down in a, in a jet fighter. Uh, <laughs> that's your page. There it is, yeah. They are great videos. I watch them a lot, so I will admit, I because I, uh, I do love a MiG-17. It's a cool airplane, so I love watching you fly. And, you know, Randy, thank you so much again for, number one, just being a, you know out there in the industry, helping out, helping out pilots and, and putting on great shows. And thank you for putting on your show despite challenges ahead. I think that says a lot. And I can tell you from what I hear in the background, not that my opinion matters much, but it inspired a lot of other people to say, damn, you know what? We should have we should have kept our show or we're, we're not quitting. So when one person goes out and does something, it inspires everybody else. So thank you very much for that. Well, it, it was my pleasure. And, and like I said, watching the kids reaction and you know that which was my reaction you know growing up with this kind of stuff i mean i how could i not go on with the show and and we're going to do next year is going to be just as big and and just as good and i can't wait to hopefully see some of the fans uh live in person at an air show soon <laughs> exactly exactly 
Randy Ball, ladies and gentlemen. Randy, thank you so much for coming on the Renegade Aviator Radio Show. You're more than welcome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> okay, Randy Ball, Thunder over Cedar Creek Lake Air Show. All you need to do is search and go watch the really cool videos. You listen to me, you listen to Randy, now go and search for the videos and spend the rest of your day watching really cool air show videos. Why not? Speaking of videos, I want you to watch another video worldrecordjet.com. I want you to watch a video of me. Why would a guy with a face for radio ask you to watch a video with him in it? worldrecordjet.com. Air shows might be dark right now. Kids may be told to stay home and stay socially distant right now. Our young adults who are in college, who are just entering the workforce, are at a huge disadvantage right now. Our aerospace industry has a need and is experiencing a shortage right now. Have you ever been involved in a world record event? As a gambling man, I would say most of you have not. I have something special for you to be involved in what we're doing. WorldRecordJet.com We went long on this show, do I have to start wrapping this thing up? But there are opportunities for you to be involved with the WorldRecordJet.com project. If you have almost any kind of skill and a passion for aerospace, get in touch with me. If you want to see the video documentary that we're filming on this project, get in touch with me. If you're someone who wants to provide some support for what we're doing, you know, currency, money is the fuel of worldrecordjet.com, get in touch with me. If you want to get your kids involved in a special way to listen, to watch, and to participate in our activities, get in touch with me. How do you get in touch with me? <laughs> WorldRecordJet.com. What? You want to hear that again? Okay, WorldRecordJet.com. Maybe it's easier for you just to call me. Okay, WorldRecordJet.com. Jet.com. It is not easier for you to call me. Just visit my website, Cool Stuff, and I would hate to leave you out. Okay, in the meantime, never quit, never give up. Liberty must be experienced, not talked about. Excellence must be demonstrated, not talked about. Obstacles are necessary for you to overcome them, and success is guaranteed when you know where you are going and you stay consistent in action despite the lame excuses that we all try to justify renegade aviator search us renegade av8r.com this is david costa in the air with my ts11 iskra jet on the air with you each and every week i am the renegade aviator see ya
Thunder 178. Thunder 178. Thunder 178. Thunder 178.